0: Dr. Jason Lancaster.
1: This sermon today is not just for you. So I want you to listen to it and consider passing it on to your kids or to your grandkids or to others who may be younger. For those of you who are on Facebook, if you could just share it. I'm, I'm kind of speaking broadly this morning, of course, to our church, but to everybody else as well. And remember, we are Village Bible Church which means we believe the Bible, and we preach all of it. And of course, as you know, this um, Tuesday is an election, and there has been a lot of debating going on about the problems that plague our country. On a national level, there's debates. On a state level, there's debates about what are the problems, and on a local level as well. But one of the issues that has not been brought up, to my knowledge, I mean, surely it has somewhere, but I've not heard this issue brought up. And I believe this issue is one of the greatest problems in our country. And if we talked about it more and dealt with it a little bit more, maybe things would be different. And that issue and that problem is divorce. It could be argued that the decay in our society could be linked to an increase in divorce. When marriage is all about personal happiness and fulfillment rather than serving one another and creating a family, then you have an explosion of no-fault divorce. And this impacts our society as it trickles down to the children and leads to an increase in anxiety. Depression, financial issues, drug use, crime, and more shattered relationships. It's amazing that you could just probably have a lot of conversations and do a lot of interviews and a lot of research and discover that a lot of the problems that we're dealing with in our country has divorce thrown in there somewhere. And I'm not here to make you feel guilty because I know that many of you have been through divorce It has been painful, and I understand that so many of you have been wronged, and to bring this up, is just painful, and not only have so many of you been wronged by a past spouse, but some of you were the ones that did the wrong, and you're here, and so there's a lot of emotions coming at me right now. I want you to know there is forgiveness, there's grace in the gospel, there's healing in the gospel. And we have plenty of that to go around in Jesus, and we want to continue to preach the gospel and forgiveness and grace. But at the same time, we want to preach the word. And that's why I want to encourage you to take the message this morning and spread it out for others who need to hear it, because this morning we're going to talk about relationships between men and women, and we're going to talk about relationships between men and women from the book of Malachi. So if you're still in Malachi, that's great. You can turn there if you're not in there. And before we proceed any further, you need to understand this. We're not just talking about relationships between men and women with God out of the picture. No, 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 no. We are talking about relationships between men and women with God in the center and that is exactly what the Israelites left out. They thought they could have relationships with one another and God would have no part of that relationship as if they can just continue on with their lives, do what they want to do with God having no involvement or no connection as if he did not exist at all. But the reality is God does have involvement. He does have connection, and he must be at the very center of a relationship between a man and a woman and marriage, and so when we talk about relationships, we have to first talk about God, and that's where we're going this morning, so let's do it. Let's jump into Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. I hope you're eager and ready to study the word. Let's go. Verse 10. Do we not all have one Father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously each against his brother so as to profane the covenant of our fathers? Okay, we start out with three questions here. And they're supposed to bring to mind Israel's covenant relationship with God. God has entered into this covenant or agreement with his people to be their God and they were to be his people. Life and existence come from one father and creator who has united them together. Now get this. If God has united them together in Him, then why would they break covenant? Why would they break covenant faithfulness to one another? You see, when believers are faithless in their relationships with one another, they are marring the relationship with God. Because believers are to have the same father and the same standard for all of us, but when we are faithless in our relationships with one another, we are profaning the covenant and saying that our relationship with the Lord is of no value or does not matter. Now Malachi is going to get into two situations, two situations. One of them has to do with marrying unbelievers, and the other one has to do with Divorce. So let's start with the first one, marriage to unbelievers. Look at verse 11. Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. So the, the widespread sin among the people, all the way up to the priest, is that they were marrying daughters of a foreign God. And you may wonder, what's the big deal? Why can't they marry people outside that are Israelites? Well, it's a very big deal because marriage, once again, is not just between a man and a woman with God left out of the picture. No, no, remember, God is supposed to be at a center. All that the husband and wife were to do were to be done to the glory of God. But if you join a believer with an unbeliever, then the covenant with the Lord is profaned. And you may think, well, is this just an Old Testament idea? Well, it's also a New Testament idea. Let me share with you 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 16. You're very familiar with this. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers or what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness what accord has Christ with the Bilal? or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever what agreement has the temple of God with idols just as there to be no blending of God with idols so there should be no blending of God's people with unbelievers now, this could get pretty awkward here this morning if you maybe brought your unbelieving husband here this morning or your unbelieving wife. And I, and I just want to say we have nothing, absolutely zero against you. God loves you. God wants a relationship with you. He sent his son, Jesus, so that you can come to know him and live forever. So don't be offended. We're just talking about a relationship that you need to have with God. And specifically here, leading up to marriage, a man and a woman Believer, unbeliever are not to be married. We'll talk about in a minute what happens if you married an unbeliever. We'll talk about that in a moment. Verse 12. Look at verse 12. As for the man who does this, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob everyone who awakes and answers or who presents an offering to the Lord of hosts. So here's the deal. A man's going through the motions of worship. And his heart is wandering off to marry a woman whose God was not Yahweh. And he's saying, well, you're going to have no future. Because he thinks if he can go through the motions of following the Lord and marry an unbeliever, then he's just playing games with God. Now, I know some of you in here may say, it's too late. I already married an unbelieving husband or I already married an unbelieving wife. That is my reality. What should I do? Should I divorce them? Should I leave them? And the answer is no. I'm not going to get into all the details, but the 1 Corinthians 7 is very clear. If you're married to an unbelieving person, do not divorce them. Do not leave. So what are you supposed to do? Well, you're to live a godly life. You're to pray for their salvation. Pray that they would know Jesus. Be Christ-like in the marriage. And there are many, many testimonies that I have heard of people who are married to unbelievers praying for their spouse, and their spouse comes to know Jesus, and that's what we can rejoice in. So continue to pray for your spouse and love your spouse. Now, for those of you who are single and you're not married yet, from what I understand, there's a lot of dating that goes on in the village, a lot of dating going on, Don't think to yourself as a single person, aha, I will date an unbeliever, kind of like missionary dating, and then the unbeliever will get converted. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't not play that game. Because here's the deal. If you are single, you are to date only a believer. I mean, come on. Let's just, let's just talk about this uh, for those of you who are single, who are, who are on the dating scene. I, I don't know who you are, who you're watching, but you, you don't want to date someone who just tolerates Jesus. You want to date someone who worships Jesus. I mean, if, if, I'm, if I could just talk to my kids, I'm talking to my kids, if I could talk to young people i like, man, we live in America, do not date make-believers fake-believers. If you can't really know whether someone believes in God or not, don't date them. You don't want to date someone who just tolerates Jesus, but someone who worships Jesus. That's what you want your marriage to be about. And if your dating life's not about that, guess what? Your marriage will not be about that, I guarantee you. So be careful what you're doing in your dating life. A Christian dating relationship should be about two people worshiping and keeping Christ at the center. I don't care if you're dating at 19 or at 79. Christ at the center. Now Malachi moves on to this issue of divorce. This is not divorce based upon adultery, which is talked about in the New Testament. This is not divorce based upon the desertion of an unbeliever, which is also talked about In the New Testament, this is divorced based upon aversion. It's the concept of no fault divorce, which is not gonna fly with God, by the way. Look at verse 13. This is another thing you do you cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hands. There's tears being shed here at the altar. But it's probably not by these men. It's probably by the women they have divorced. These are men coming to worship at the temple. But all the Lord hears and sees is his altar covered with tears of divorced women. He refuses to accept the offering at the altar of these men who have divorced their women because all he sees is the tears covering his altar. Now, there's a similar idea in the New Testament that should make men squirm. Look at First Peter. We have that First Peter 3, 7. It says, "'Likewise, husbands live with your wives "'in an understanding way, "'showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel.'" Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Men, it's possible that God is not hearing your prayers and responding to them because of the way you treat your wife. You cannot pursue a right relationship with God without pursuing a right relationship with your wife. You can't walk with God if you're walking all over your wife. There is a connection. So if you're here this morning worshiping, praying, God, why don't you hear me? Look right next to you. It could be you're treating your wife terrible. God's not going to hear that prayer. It's connected. It's all connected. God sees. And in Malachi... He sees his altar covered with tears of these women that these men have discarded. Verse 14, yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Oh, I love that the the wife's called a companion. Isn't that good? Like you married her and you guys were young and she was your companion. It's like you were best friends. I like that. You're really close. It's it's wonderful. Uh, But now a better deal has come along and you have left. You were youthful together and now you left your best friend. You left your your companion you, you left the wife of your youth. And you kind of wonder, well, why would a man in love with a woman that he married, who was young, best friends, why would he pursue another woman? Well, the two main reasons for divorce during Malachi's time are probably the two main reasons for divorce during our time. Some huge reasons that may resonate well, and that has to do with money and sex. You see, unbelievers from Malachi's time, were better off financially than the Israelites, because the Israelites have been decimated during the Babylonian invasion. So if they married a foreigner, then the in-laws would likely give them jobs and money. So there's a better deal in marrying an unbeliever. Also, sex was a motivator of divorce, because within pagan societies, Women were devalued and were treated as sex objects. You could treat them how you wanted. Didn't matter if the relationship was working or not. But Israelite women were to be shown respect. Treat them with respect. And marital intimacy was not an isolated category, but was part of the overall covenant relationship where men were to love women completely. And so what happened during Malachi's time? The men were breaking away, divorcing their wives, breaking their covenant relationships and pursued pagan women, which was abhorrent to God. Verse 15. But not one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? Take heed then to your spirit, And let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. God has brought a husband and wife together in marriage. He was witness to that union and part of that union. And and look again at verse 15. He says, But not one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. Part of the purpose of this God centered marriage is that God is a part of it, and a part of the marriage was probably, as it says there, Godly offspring. God's intent was to create people who would glorify Him, not only in, in uh, not only in loving one another, but also in a family. Godly offspring. So, husband, wife, God's Spirit, a part of that relationship, raise their kids in the Lord and produce godly offspring. Now. I mean, I'm talking to some of you. I'm talking to those of you watching on Facebook Live. Many of you, maybe like me, may come from, uh, maybe, maybe you're a child of divorce. Now, I don't know. My parents got divorced. I don't know why it is, but that just messes with your head. I mean, you're single and you think, man, I don't know if I should ever get married because I'm probably going to get divorced. And you get married and you get into these arguments with your spouse. You're thinking, how should I deal with this? What's going on? And and so there's a lot of messed up thinking that can go in your mind. But but I I just want to tell kids from divorced parents, I just want to tell you, guys, it's okay. Just because your parents divorced doesn't mean you're going to go down the same road. You don't have to. You can pursue Christ. Whatever's going on in your life right now, you can pursue Christ. And guess what? You can even produce godly offspring. You're not destined to go down the same road. But watch yourself. Look at the command of protection. Again, in verse 15, there in the middle, it says, take heed then to your spirit or guard yourselves in your spirit. The idea is to set up this internal guard to keep your mind and heart in check. It's not like men all of a sudden think to themselves, you know, I think it'd be really good to divorce my wife and to marry someone else. Now, that, that stuff builds up over time, and that's why you need to take heart and, and guard your spirit. Because if you don't guard your spirit, you'll start having these fantasies of the way things could be better. You start having a lust that's created in your heart, thinking, huh, I could actually have this. That's why at the very beginning, you have to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, because divorce doesn't all of a sudden just happen. It builds and builds and builds over time. That's why you want to guard yourself and your spirit, whether you're a man or whether you're a woman, guard yourself and your spirit. Keep a check of what's going on in your thoughts. Keep a check what's going on in your heart and the way you're thinking about your own marriage. Because you may find in your heart and your mind, you're looking for ways out. Guard yourself in your spirit. And then, verse 16, probably the only verse you know from the book of Malachi. Verse 16 For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed, there it is guard your spirit. That you do not deal treacherously. Did you see it there? It says the man who divorces his wife covers his garment with wrong or covers his garment with violence. You know, part of the relationship breakdown in a marriage could be domestic violence. Not only is a man seeking divorce, but he's violent toward her along the way. Or or the violence here could be talking about his character. Just by the fact that he is divorcing her is violent. It's like showing his clothes that are just covered in blood. It could be an act of treacherous violence against the woman and against the Lord. Just by the fact of divorce, which is serious sin here. Once again, God God is very adamant about guarding your heart. Guard yourselves in your spirit and do not, do not deal treacherously. Faithfulness in marriage is a demonstration of faithfulness in your relationship with God. And I think that it's even upped higher in the New Testament because you know in the New Testament, the relationship between a man and woman is like a relationship between Christ and the church. And as Christ sacrificially laid down his life for the church. The church is to follow and submit to his leadership. So men, if you're wondering, what am I supposed to do to love my wife? The answer is die. That's what Christ did, right? Well, you are to die daily to your desires. And ladies, you may wonder, well, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, you are to follow your husband's leadership as he leads you in the Lord. And that is a relationship that is to stick together till death do you part. So guard yourselves and your spirit and do not be faithless. Now, if you've come here this morning with marriage problems or dating problems, You may think, man, I need to really work on my relationship in my marriage, or I need to work on my relationship in dating. But often, often, first, you need to work on your relationship with God. Now, don't set aside your marriage relationship or your dating relationship, but you got to see the the holistic perspective that you must start with your relationship with God and, and deal with issues in your own life as you grow in your marriage. And we're here to help you. We're here to help you. Starting this January, we're gonna have a six-week marriage seminar led by Jim Neal. We did this last year. So many people came to that. So many people came to that. You may think, wow, there's a lot of messed up marriages. No, no, we just wanna grow. We wanna grow in our relationships. We're gonna do it again. Starting this January, we want to come alongside of you and encourage you and build you up in your marriage relationship. But I know there are also people here who have been so wounded. And this, this, this bringing up divorce brings up your past and brings up all the pain and the disaster that happened. And to unfold all the reasons why it would take years of counseling perhaps. I want you to know that we are here for you. I want to challenge you, for those of you who are still struggling with past brokenness, to go to your small group. If you're not in a small group, get one, and just open up about the damage of your past relationship and your marriage. And don't be surprised if someone sitting next to you or someone else in the group says, I went through the exact same thing. And they will be there to minister to you care for you and love for you we are not here to crush you if you have past mistakes where you were the offender we're not here to kick you out we're here to tell you there is grace there is restoration in the cross of christ why did he die if there's no restoration there is forgiveness of sins in his perfect crucifixion Bearing our sin, buried, rose again so that we can have forgiveness of sins. This is a place of grace and grace does not wipe out all the consequences that you're still dealing with but this is a place of grace, healing and mercy and we're here to walk alongside you even if something happened 40 years ago. I became Christian at 19 and I was just thinking about it. I'm 49 now so that happened about 30 years ago, I was a freshman, just finishing my freshman year, and I got saved, as I told you before, as a counselor at Canicook Camp in Branson. And I lived a life, before that time, steeped in immorality. I did not know how to treat girls. I didn't know what it meant to have a relationship. I didn't know anything. So I get saved, and I'm at this camp, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And so anytime anybody would talk about relationships, I would listen right away because I want to, what, what are you talking about? How do you do relationships as a Christian? And one time they would have these musical artists come in. And one of the artists that came in, his guy name was Wes King. And I don't remember anything about the concert that Wes King did, but he gets up there and he's like, well, I want to sing this song about relationships. And I thought, cool. I want to listen to that song because I don't know anything about Christian relationships so I was all ears and so he starts singing this song and this is how it goes I'm not going to sing it to you but I'm going to read a little bit of it all right this is what he started singing he said there <laughs> he's talking about the girl he's dating okay I'm thinking this is great great relationship this is what he says he says there's another man in her life another love stronger than mine there's another love in her life so complete so benign there's another man in her life. Now, as a new Christian, and I was thinking, this is some weird stuff. <laughs> you're telling me you're dating this girl, you love her, and now you're singing a song about this other man in her life? Man, I was with you so far, but this is horrible. So he, he keeps singing, and the song just gets worse. He, he says this. He says, he's all she talks about. Her love for him is so devout And when she hears his name, her eyes reflect his light. I was really clueless, but then I started saying, Hmm, I wonder who that other man is. And maybe you're starting to clue in too that it dawned on me that the other man in her life was Jesus. And this is the way the song ends. Now there's another love in our lives, so complete so divine. There is another love in our lives, stronger than hers, stronger than mine. There is another man in our lives, so complete, so divine.
0: We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way guided by God's Word.